Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, I humbly come before you today to ask you to increase my faith. I confess that it is hard for me to trust you and believe you at all times. Therefore, I pray that you remove anything in my life that causes doubt and lack of faith. Help me to focus on you alone and not my trials and enemies. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today in the Gospel, we have the very famous account of the storm at sea. The second storm at sea, actually. The first one occurred with Jesus in the boat sleeping. And then just a few months later, we now have this Gospel account, which I'm going to read to you in just a second, <clears throat> whereby one of the apostles gets out of the boat and walks on the water. So in the history of the world. Only two people have walked on water, Jesus and Peter. And so today we have this gospel. Let me read it to you. It's from the 14th chapter of Matthew. All right. Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and precede him to the other side of the sea while he dismissed the crowds. After doing so, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat, already a few miles offshore, was being tossed about by the waves, for the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, he came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. At once Jesus spoke to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him in reply, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw how strong the wind was, he became frightened and began beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? After they got into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat did him homage, saying, truly, you are the son of God. So we have some lessons from this account of uh, the, the storm at sea. And this story is in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and John. Luke doesn't have it. But only in Matthew does it add the detail about Peter getting out of the boat. So it's something very um, interesting if we look at what was happening. And you have to realize a couple of things about what's happening here. So first of all, that morning, the morning of this event, Jesus multiplied the fishes and loaves to feed several thousand people. And when he was done doing that, he kind of said to them, the apostles that is, uh, he upbraided them for their lack of faith. That was just in the morning. And then Prior to that, just before uh, this happens, Jesus learns of the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. And so after the, <clears throat> the feeding of the 5,000, he tells the apostles to go to the other side without him. He's going up the mountain to pray, to commune with his father, 
and receive consolation in his sadness at the death of John. Now, he knows full well that this storm is going to happen, uh, but he sends them without him anyway. And these are very adept fishermen. These are men that um, would have spent their whole life on this sea. It's really more of a lake. They call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's the size of a, of a, a medium-sized lake, much smaller than the Great Lakes, uh, tremendously smaller. It's only a few miles across, maybe seven or eight miles to get to the other side. So this crossing over would have, should have taken them between one and two hours. But here it is, the fourth watch, which means they've been in this boat for probably 10 hours uh, fighting the storm and furiously rowing. They would have been exhausted. They would have been terrified. They would be thinking maybe this is the end of our life. But again, he made them get into the boat, is what the scripture says, uh, without him. So, you know, this may, you could think many things. Maybe Jesus needed a break from his annoying disciples. I don't think that was it at all. Maybe he's, uh, did, it was not so great at predicting weather. That's not it at all. Jesus knew it was gonna happen. He was using this event to build their faith, to build up their faith. We, and we know also that Jesus frequently went off alone to pray. And so this would be uh, certainly a, a time that he would wanna do that as he's grieving the loss of John. Now, even in his personal grief, Jesus did the great miracle of the multiplication of the fish and loaves earlier in the day. He never turned away from the struggle that people were having or forgot about those he was called to serve, including his own friends and disciples. So while his disciples are struggling, Jesus is on the mountain praying. In the midst of the storm, as the waves are spilling over the edges of the boat and the winds are perhaps even a gale force and are moving the boat in every direction but the one they're trying to get to, which is the other side of the lake, um, they might have been feeling like Jesus had abandoned them or forgotten about them altogether. Uh, if you remember just a few months earlier when they were also caught in, caught in a big storm and Jesus is sleeping in the boat, <clears throat> they asked Jesus, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Um, we too may feel this way when we're caught in a storm of life. And lately there's been many storms of life happening one after the next. Literally, there's been some bad weather all over the world. <clears throat> and figuratively, you know, st personal storms that people are going through, um, trials and tribulations. And it's very easy to become fearful and maybe even lose faith when we're, when we're particularly worn down, when we're tired, when we're frustrated, when we're alone. And those apostles were feeling all of those things. They were feeling tired, exhausted, frustrated by their lack of progress, and somewhat alone because Jesus is not with them. But while these disciples are fighting to stay afloat, uh, Jesus recognizes their struggle, and he never lost sight of them in his mind. He knew what was happening in his heart. Um, and more importantly, he had a plan to deliver them. That was probably one of the very darkest nights they'd experienced. So in this very dark hour, he comes to them. He meets the disciples on the waves. 
And what does he say to them? The first thing he says is he says, he says take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. You see, he's never blind or removed from the disciple situation. And I might add the same for you. Jesus is not blind or removed from the situation you're going through today. He's fully aware of it. He might even be praying to his father about it at this very moment. Consider that. Uh, in Mark's gospel, it tells us that Jesus walking uh, on the water uh, had not reached the, the boat had not reached the center of the lake and he's walking on foot and he could have even passed the disciples on their boat Th consider that they're, they're moving so slowly they're making so little progress that he could walk past the boat he's walking faster than they're rowing this is how difficult the storm is for them so the the unimaginable fatigue and frustration, despair, the fear, it's all setting in on the apostles. And uh, they can't rely anymore on their own strength, on their own skill, on their own expertise to get them through this particular storm. And when you think about it, there, there had to be hundreds of times that uh, Peter, James, and Andrew, and John encountered many a situation on the sea and they've always been able to handle them but today not not able to handle it and maybe that's exactly the point you know for hours the disciples had exhausted themselves trying to get themselves out of trouble but it's only after jesus arrives that's when they find a reprieve from their storm and that's kind of the point for us too you know Sometimes we push so hard to try to accomplish something, but we're doing it without Jesus. And sometimes he allows us to fall on our face to remind us that we need him. We need him. That when we bring Jesus into anything, it becomes incredibly um, holy, productive, um, virtuous, because we're doing it with him and he's directing. So it's at this juncture when Jesus shows up that Peter makes this very interesting decision. You know, he could either continue to struggle in the boat with his friends, or he could turn to Jesus for some uh, relief. And he decides it's better to be in the storm with Jesus than to be uh, without him in the boat. And so I would say Peter in this moment, he's got a great deal of faith more than his friends. He's the only one that gets out of the boat. So Peter's not only going to observe a miracle, he's going to be part of the miracle. He's going to experience the miracle firsthand by daring to get out of the boat and walk to the Lord. Sometimes the greatest miracles of life happen when we're willing to step out in faith and surrender to God's power instead of relying on our own. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? You know, sometimes you have to let go of what you're doing and let God take up the reins. I remember when I was very frustrated when I couldn't get ordained. I, I had been with four classes of seminarians throughout the 12 years and each class went on ahead of me and got ordained, <coughs> excuse me, and I was left behind. It happened, well, I was left behind three times. The fourth time I was moved forward. 
But you start to ask yourself, what am I doing wrong here? Why am I continually uh, being left behind when everybody else is being advanced? And it was only when I put the my whole vocation back on the altar of the Lord and said, if you want me to be a priest, then you have to make the way. I'm, I'm done. I can't. I've opened. I've pushed open all the doors I could possibly do uh, doing it my way and nothing's worked. So I'm leaving it in your hands. And of course, it was just a few months, a few months after that, that Bishop Choby called me and asked me to fly into Nashville to meet with him. <clears throat> and then everything went forward. And here I am today speaking to you as a priest of Jesus Christ. But it was a surrender that had to happen. And sometimes we're not uh, we're not willing to surrender what we think we we want uh, the goal that we want to go forward. So it's very important we do that. Now, faith requires focus. <laughs> you know, uh, you have to have a focus on what you're doing. Intentionality. So once Peter gets out of the boat, he's walking on water by Christ's power at work within him. It, it, it was nothing Peter. Peter wasn't doing it. He was being the recipient of the grace. Now, when what Matthew writes in his gospel, he says, when he, Peter, that is, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sing, cried out, Lord, save me. So when Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and focuses on the dangers around him, he begins to sink. And guess what? So do we. When we take our eyes off Jesus and focus on the storm, we sink. We sink into despair. We sink into fear. We sink. We sink into um, weariness. We sink into into uh, maybe even anger, frustration. Get your eyes back on Jesus today, because if you're not going to have your focus on Him, you're not going to make it. Life is too hard in 2023 to have our focus off of Jesus. We've got to have our eyes on Jesus. So Jesus warns his disciples and, and us too, his future followers, that in the in this world you will only have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He said that in 16th chapter of John. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, we connect to the source and summit of all peace and power and hope and glory. It's him. So when we focus uh, on him, all things begin to change. When we focus on the storm or the impossible circumstances we're dealing with, the world becomes literally a terrifying place. And that fear can be overwhelming. Faith, like hope or peace or joy, requires focus. It can be lost or shaken if we don't protect it. Our friend St. Paul wrote to the Colossians, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We have all these encouragements through the scriptures, but sometimes we forget them when the storm comes. We, we, we get overwhelmed by the storm and we immediately fall into fear. Jesus also told his disciples, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Oh, isn't that the truth? 
There's been a lot written about Peter and his lapses of faith and his denial of Christ um, on uh, Holy Thursday, his ordination evening. Uh, but it, we have to remember, he's the only one that got out of the boat. You know, he's the only one that got out of the boat. Nobody else did, just him. So you got to give him some credit here. And I think one of the most interesting parts of the story is what happens next. You know, so they're they're back in the boat, and uh, in Luke we hear this. Luke writes that uh, Jesus he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples about the disciples and then back in today's gospel matthew notes the men were amazed and asked what kind of man is this even the winds and waves obey him so um when jesus gets back in the boat on this event this is the second the first i was just quoting the first time that the storm happened this is the the one where peter gets out of the boat um and this is what it says then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying truly you are the son of God. They're worshiping him. They're worshiping him. Perhaps this is the reason for the second storm. Uh, by the time Jesus walked on the water and calmed the seas, you know, they'd already seen many, many, many public miracles. In fact, as I mentioned just a few hours earlier, he challenged them on their lack of faith when he multiplied the two fish and five loaves and fed 5,000 people. They forgot so quickly who, you know, what he had done. And uh, in, the, in Mark, it says their hearts were hardened. When we forget about the goodness of God, when we forget about his promises, when we forget all the miracles he's done, uh, not just in the scriptures, but in our own lives, then we, like Peter, begin to sink and our storms intensify. But here's the antidote. When we worship, when we worship Jesus, this becomes an antidote to the anxiety and the doubt and the fear and the worry and the despair. And if you remember, in, when the King David had problems in his life, uh, in his storms, he would rejoice to the Lord. So in their deliverance, the disciples are praising God. And I'll tell you, when God is, is praised and worshiped and elevated, so are our spirits. So are our spirits. It reminds me of when I was in Poland, you know, that story about Poland when the sick priest wouldn't see anybody for months. And then Father Tom went to his rectory and knocked on the door and said, please let me in. The Lord has sent me here to see you. And the priest was lying in bed. And when I went in, uh, the, the Father Tom said, you know, I'm going to pray with you. Let me in. So when we went in, I was, you know, what would be the most rational uh prayer you could do for someone who's sick and looking like they're going to die you would do the anointing of the sick that's that would be the, the logical thing to do but the lord had father tom do something else he started praising the lord he put his hands up in the air and he was praising jesus and, and singing praise and worship over this priest now at the time i was not so comfortable with this i would have preferred the anointing of the sick because it, it's uh, it's less crazy looking and you know, I had to go to the gas station. I just wanted to get out of there. I didn't know what was happening. But indeed, it did heal the priest. The priest jumped out of bed and he was completely healed. So when we worship God, things happen. 
things happen. Maybe even things we don't know or aren't expecting to happen, happen. But in this moment today, in this gospel, when they start worshiping God, they realize something different about him. You know, this is the moment that they start to, there's a new understanding of who Jesus is. And I might add, there's a new understanding of who Peter is. You know, this is the beginning where Peter is starting to step into that leadership role who will become the first pope. And I think the apostles on this particular day in this event realize that Peter is being set apart for something very important, which is the founding of the church as the first pope by the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. So it's an interesting event, and it's an event that we should learn from, and we should go deeper into our faith, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, you want to be the one who's putting your feet over the boat and walking on water. You don't want to be the one cowering in the back of the boat, hiding in fear. That's not our call. That's not our vocation. So this, this night of this storm, when all things are changed here with regard to who they realize Jesus is, but also who Peter is. And it turns out that courage, like fear, can become contagious. And the more it grows, the more it's tested, and the more it grows again. So ask for the gift of deeper faith. Ask for uh, the gift of courage or fortitude. And ask for uh, the gift of um, discipleship, to be a great disciple of the Lord. These are all things, all things are gifts. The only thing we can give God that he hasn't given us already are our sins. Other than that, everything is a gift. Our life, our, your mind, your aptitude to certain things, the gift of your voice, if you're a good singer, all of it's a gift. But there's more gifts to be given. Our Lady, um, oh, I always get this wrong. I think it's the Miraculous Medal. I'm not sure. But I know there's one of the apparitions of Our Lady where she has all these rings on and, and only a few of them are lit up. And when asked about them, she said so many Graces are available, but nobody asks for them. If only they would ask, I would give them. So ask today, not just for yourself, ask for your friends, ask for your kids, ask for your grandkids, ask for your parish, ask for your pastor, um, ask for our country, you know, inter go to Our Lady, ask for all those unlit graces to be showered down on all the people you know, um, your friends, your enemies, all of them. Because imagine if all your enemies became your friends, then you'd have no enemies. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes, much to do in the times we live in. Uh, I want to speak just a little bit about um, some of the things that are happening out there. Uh, today, Ohio is voting to protect the state constitution, to defend against radical abortion agenda. So keep that in your prayers. Um, I would say just keep our, the country is so divided right now. Pray for our country that the division would end. It would be good. I think, I don't know. I know the exorcist united in a day of prayer last year for something. It would be good if that happened again. I don't know how you get that going, but it would be good if somebody 
uh, could could unite all the exorcists to pray over the country to deliver it from all that's happening. And uh, oh, of course, today is Saint Dominic. For those that don't know it, Saint Dominic, uh, born in 1170, um, he was asked to be a bishop three times, and three times he declined because he wanted to stay uh, small and humble with his with his newly founded order. And you know that order. Uh, when they were founded, what their, one of their primary missions was to fight the heresy of the Albigensians, you know. And um, I was at a conference, and there was a Dominican theologian speaking. There was also a Jesuit theologian speaking. And um, they were sort of joking about the little rivalry that was between their orders. And the Dominican, he made a very funny comment. He said, uh, while he was speaking on stage, he, he addressed the Jesuit theologian and said, you know, we both come from these illustrious religious orders that have been around for centuries and doing the work of God in the world. But let's not forget, you know, our primary mission when we were founded was really to fight the heresy of the Albigensians. And the Jesuits was to fight the errors of the Protestants. And he looked at the Jesuit and said, have you seen any Albigensians lately? meaning there's plenty of Protestants still out there. You didn't do such a good job. It was very funny at the time. I probably didn't say it as well. But, um, you know, both both orders were founded for great missions. And, um, you know, we're lucky to have the Dominicans. We have the um, Dominicans of St. Cecilia in Nashville who do great work in the education of children, and um, we're very thankful for them. Anyway, I'll be back with you tomorrow, God willing, and we'll um, we'll go back at it. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan signing off.